It's the Secret Golf Podcast Network and I'm Diane Knox. Now, we're rolling out some new podcasts here at Secret Golf and this one I am very excited to introduce today. It's called A Little Elk and, well, Steve Elkington is going to be on at some point, but your main host is this guy, Sam Elkington. Hi, Sam. Hello, Diane. How are we doing today? This is going to be great because obviously I've spent a lot of time with you before and golf is a passion of yours. Of course, it's in your blood. You've grown up around it, but you are such a fun person to be around and we're really going to turn it into something big on this podcast. I truly believe that too, Diane. Yes, we've had a great time together. We've been, uh, what, to the U.S. Open together. We, we've yeah. been uh, also in Jack's. Yeah, Masters, Jacksonville Beach at the Players, where I made my podcast debut, if you remember that, on the on the 16th hole there on the par five left of the green. Now, I'm going to refine my skills a little better this time because this might be our week-to-week thing on the Little Elk podcast. But let me tell you a little bit about myself. I am on the University of Houston golf team. I am a fifth-year senior, uh, and I am uh, majoring in supply chain management. Um, that is what I'm doing currently. I'm like the seven or eight guy on the team, so I'm not on the starting squad, but uh, we're looking to break into the lineup later on this semester. Let me talk about that very quickly, because being Steve Elkington's son, being the son of a major champion and a multiple PGA Tour winner, you know, there's quite a lot of pressure. Do you ever feel that on your shoulders? I feel the pressure in some sense. So part of the thing, being my father's son, yes, he's a great golfer, but truly a great dad. Um, he, he's never really put any intense pressure on me to be this great golfer, this guy. He just always wanted me to be Sam. And, and I think that's, that, that just goes to show what a great, great guy and great dad that he is. And, um, you know, I, I haven't, I haven't played well enough in my qualifying rounds to make the team and travel with the team. Um, which is, which is kind of a downfall for me. But at the same time, like my journey in golf has just been amazing. And uh, I love playing golf every single day. I wake up and uh, that's what I want to do when I wake up. So moving forward, uh, I would love to get my game to a position to where I could play on the team or will play on the team. Um, but right now we're just really working hard on the back of the range at Champions Golf Course. And you love golf. You eat, sleep and breathe golf. I mean, you have a very active social life and you're throwing yourself fully into college life. And we're going to talk about that on the podcast as well. But you are around golf all the time, obviously. And the thing that I love, we've been at a lot of golf tournaments together, is you know everyone. Not only that, but everyone wants to come up and talk to you. Sometimes they'll swerve your dad to come straight for you. Absolutely. And let me let you in on a little secret. My dad has not uh, eaten breakfast at the top of the Masters Clubhouse with Jack Nicholas. I do not believe but let me tell you, it was, the place was packed. It was 7.30 in the morning. I get there really early. I put the chairs out. We have a great time. Um, but Mr. Nicholas is sitting there, and all the tables are full. And I, I know him from the PNC father-son, who I got to play with a bunch of other great golfers, Tom Lehman, Vijay Singh. And, and I just go up to Mr. Nicholas and say, hey, hey Jack, do you mind if I, I sit down here and uh, have breakfast with you? And you know, sure, sure, Sam, you know, come on down. And we didn't talk one thing of golf. It was all hunting and fishing because I know he's a big, big outdoorsman guy. And uh, that was kind of my in. My way in was with, was with the guy at the Masters. So I do, I do know a lot of the guys. And it's, um, it's really fun. You know, it's, it's, 
my dad's kind of the guy that is the older mentor for the younger people around in the uh, secret golf arena, at least. And then other guys also are, are talking to him, um, tr- trying to pick his brain because the guy was a player for 25 years and, and he doesn't get maybe all the credit that he deserves, but he was a, um, a gamer, as mm-hmm. some would say. Oh, yeah, for sure. And you guys have an incredible relationship. I have been around the two of you together an awful lot, and it's the it's the typical father-son relationship, of course, that there's so much like respect and love there. But I don't know, there's just something very special about you and your dad, and you never really disagree or fall out. You're a very calm, easygoing person anyway, but... You know, talk about your relationship between the two of you. The relationship with my dad and I is is just amazing. We we have a um, we have a professional relationship, or try to on the golf course as much as we can, at least as much as the father and son could. I mean, it's it's really difficult to have your coach also be your dad. And I've heard Justin Thomas mention that before, and a few other. Bill Haas has had some success practicing and playing with his dad. And uh, as his being his his coach slash mentor, but me and my dad, we, our our relationship runs very deep. I mean, we love watching sports together. We love having a cold beer together. We love pretty much everything we do. We have in common. I mean, we we eat, sleep, breathe golf, but we also do a lot of other things. Now, I haven't gotten him out to yoga yet, but I think he's going to uh, come my way soon. But I think a large part of our relationship has to do with. Another great mentor of mine, Jackie Burke Jr., who has mentored me my whole life. He's been in my life since I can remember. And um, a large part of, of what he instilled in me at a young age is, is you must respect your elders and you must respect pretty much everyone until they lose that respect. And I'll never lose my respect for my dad because he's just uh, a man who I aspire to be when I'm, when I'm older. That's really nice. So with this podcast, this is the first one. But right now, just give us a bit of a rundown of what you want to do on this podcast week after week. On this podcast, I would like to obviously interview my dad, talk about um, all things on the tour going on, current events uh, within the golf realm. I love uh, talking politics, but we're going to stay away from that on this this (laughs) typical podcast. But I also uh, think we're going to have a few uh, touches on some college golf. Yep. So I'm, I'm located in a really good spot, Houston. We're surrounded by great, great golfing schools, SMU, Texas, Baylor, A&M. And I've got friends at many of those schools. So I think we're going to get into the college golf realm a little bit, Diane. We're going to dip our toe in the water where, where nobody else kind of has. I love that. And with the SG Tour Golf Gaming app, I know that you and your friends play along and you have a little bit of friendly banter between the group. So the weeks that the SG Tour Golf Gaming app is live, then you know I hope we're going to get your guys on and we'll hear the trash talk between all of you. Absolutely. We will get my boys from home on. They're, they're, I would like to say they're pretty big gamblers outside of the SG Tour. So if, if there's action, they're all about it. So I'm going to get those boys in and we're going to get we're going to get rowdy like we do on Saturday nights at, uh, at Moe's there on the corner. I would like to interview my first guest on my Little Elk podcast, uh, a guy who I know better than anyone, the 1995 PGA champion, uh, my dad, Secret Golf's own Steve Elkington. How are you, Sam? This may well be the first ever father and son podcast for golf. Absolutely, it might be. So I want to talk about last week at Sanderson Farms. We had a first-time winner on the PGA Tour. His name is Sebastian Munoz. 
And as we all well know, winning on the PGA Tour is very difficult. In your first victory, the 1990 Greater Greensboro Open, you came from behind and shot a 66 on Sunday to win by two shots, claiming your first PGA Tour title. What we saw last week was another first-time winner who won in a playoff, no less, defeating Sunjai Im with a par on the first playoff hole. What I want to know is what kind of emotions would a player be dealing with down the stretch to try and win their first PGA Tour title? And additionally, how much more does it mean to a player when they can close out the deal against the best in the world? Well, there's a couple questions there. You know, I was <clears throat> I was pretty lucky in 1990. I was I was in front of the field and I was playing at a course in Greensboro, which was a really difficult course. Um, I was nowhere near the lead starting out on Sunday, maybe eight shots behind, and I had a hot uh, nine on the last nine and finished up with a. I think a 32, but on 17, I hold a long birdie putt. And on 18, I, uh, a course called Forest Oaks in uh, Greensboro, I drove into the right rough and I had about 190 yards to the hole and I was going to hit a seven iron. Pin was all the way back up in the left and I hit this, you know, bullet came out, landed just short of the green, all the spin came off of it and just ran all the way up to the hole and finished like two inches from the hole. So I was able to tap that in. And I wasn't even, I wasn't even in the lead. I was two shots back. Little did I know that everyone collapsed, and I finished up winning that tournament by two strokes. But when you're near the lead in a PGA Tour event, doesn't matter if it's the first one or the last one, um, you're just so hyped up. You're, real, you know, almost sometimes you're shitting yourself because you're so eager to take this opportunity. Um, these young guys, they've been through some pressure before, but nothing like uh, trying to win a win a trophy. So. I would say just total excitement because you, you almost can't believe when you look up at the leaderboard and your name is at the top of it. It's just, it's just the most gratifying feeling ever. Well, I believe you. And, um, and how about his, uh, how much would it mean to him to close out against the best in the world being this is his first PGA Tour victory? Well, I think, you know, this, this full season, we have to look at this thing realistically. This is, this is a great win. It's probably against a field that's not the strongest field on the tour, but this is absolutely a stepping stone for this young man. And of course, um, you know, as I say, he'll, he'll get now to face a bunch of, a bunch of guys that aren't out there, you know, Tiger Brooks, JT Thomas, they all had to start where he was. So, I'm taking nothing away from him that, you know, winning a tournament for me in 1990 was just the greatest thing ever. It got, it got me to go to the masters. Um, I married your mama not too long after that. You were a long way behind, uh, long thought after that, Sam. <laughs> you are correct. Well, now let's talk about secret golf zone, Brian Harmon. He had a solid week this week, finishing tied for 14th, who improved his round score each day, finishing at 13 under for the tournament. On Sunday night, we were watching our beloved Houston Texans get a good victory at the Sushi Bar. And you mentioned that Brian is going hunting next week in Colorado. He is a true outdoorsman and loves a cold beer like the rest of us. How beneficial can it be to get out and take a week off to do something that many millennials could consider to be a primal activity? Primal activity, mate. I had to go kill your dinner for you when you were little. You millennials, I think you just go to the store and go to the salad bar. Now, you know, Harmon's kind of amazing. You know, he, uh, for those that don't remember in golf, you know, he, he got beat by Brooks up at uh, 
up in Minnesota when they played at uh, when Brooks won his first Aaron year. Hills. I think it's Minnesota. Aaron Hills. And, and then he kind of went into a big slump and um, he wasn't playing any good at all. But he has fought his way back at the end of the last year. And now he's come out hot and started off good. He's headed up to Colorado to go after an elk. And uh, I, I actually shot an elk there. I took you there when you were little. We sat out in the woods. We went up there, remember? And we sat, we staked out that. Remember you and I went out there at four in the morning. I had you, we stacked up against that tree. We were on a wallow. And um, wallow meaning that the elk was going to come back to this little water hole. And we sat there for hours and hours. And then you got tired and we, we abandoned it. And then he came in. You remember that? I do remember that. I remember that I wasn't allowed to take a swig out of your jug either. You promised it was water, but that just wasn't that wasn't allowed for me at that age. I don't know what was going on. No swigging the jug when you were seven. <laughs> but uh, no, but Harmon, Harmon, I was I was texting with him to ask him if uh, if uh, what kind of bow he had because I'm interested and in you are, you and I are both interested in a new bow. And he said he had a ten year old uh, Matthews bow. I suppose Sam that that's kind of like an old putter. You just if it's a good, you just you don't change it, right? That's right. You can't change what's uh, not broken, so to speak. So he's going to go after the elk. Is he, he's doing the bow hunt. If you could guess, if he were to shoot an elk, how would he divvy up the meat? Would he go steak and sausage, or is he a rib, tenderloins, jerky type guy? I think he uh, – Harmon's, Harmon's a tough little son of a bitch – I think he guts the elk in the field, does the does the blood across his forehead, eats the heart right there on the deal, and and then goes back, then goes back and cooks the equivalent of whatever is a big ribeye with a with some Jack Daniels and maybe half a dozen beers. That's what I think Harmon's going to do. I know Brian, and that kind of sounds like up his alleyway. So let's talk about another secret golfer who had another good week last week. J.T. Poston seems to be a man on a mission. He seems to get better each and every week, and somehow he continues to fly under the radar. Do you think personally he likes to be a no-hype, all-game type player, or do you think he has some stardom that is hiding behind that stoic smile of his? Well, we saw him win at Greensboro, you know, last season where he had, you know, one round where he had, didn't have, no, the whole tournament, he never had a bogey, which was the same record that uh, Lee Trevino had since 1973. I was texting with JT recently and I said, I've been so impressed with him. Uh, he's got one of the best putting strokes. He reminds me of Ben Crenshaw. So tune into that next time you catch JT on TV. But I, I was texting with him the other day and I was just saying to him, I, I wrote something which I normally wouldn't write, which was, Hey man, you're really turning into a tour player. And he's like, man, I'm trying, I'm trying to do it. And I, I said, I said, you've got it, man. I said, look, not everybody gets it. And what I mean by that is, is, is Poston is up for the challenge. I, I think he's a 30 year guy. Like you and I just finished playing golf and, you know, here I am 56 years old playing every day with you and having, having loving golf more than ever. And I think Poston's that guy. I think he's a one-win-per-year guy, uh, particularly with that stroke he's got, Crenshaw-like, the ability to be able to lock down on a tournament and not, not make a bogey for the whole week. Mentally, that's just in another stratosphere. So I'm so high on JT Poston, mate. I, uh, I just think, he's, I just think he's, he's sort of in the same realm as the other JT on the tour in a couple of years.
you know, he's a tall, thin guy, Sam. He's, he's almost the same size as you and probably six foot, one, one, whatever, 170, something like that. But he has this tremendous backswing, right? He's, just, of course, let's forget for a second, he's one of the great putters out on the PGA Tour currently, but great wind-up. But then he has a kind of a low finish around, kind of real low. It, it, it actually, to me, doesn't affect anything, but it doesn't even look like he needs to go there, uh, Sam, on the downswing. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, I do. Absolutely. He he has a bit of an unorthodox finish to where his backswing position is, in my opinion. Um, right off the bat, JT, what an amazing player. He He's a timeless guy, which already indicates to me that he's a ball striker. You know, you, you've got to hit the face on those uh, skinny little bastards. So it's like this guy does roll the rock. He hits it amazing. But I think the best thing about JT Poston is he just plays fearless. He's He's almost like a reckless young uh young lanny watkins type player just goes after the flag because he knows that if he misses the green he can get it up and down i like that he holds two bunker shots i saw it on the internet he holds two bunker shots on the first nine holes at the sanderson and so you know we always we always i always tell you that you know if you miss a green don't don't hit yourself over the head let let the guy let the let the bunker guy like we use the analogy, I've told you this a million times. You could probably repeat it. What about it? Let the bunker, Let the bunker, bunker be guy the be the hero. Let mm-hmm. the kicker run on the field and kick the winning goal. So when you hit a ball in the bunker in the fairway, use as an opportunity to let the let the bunker guy to be the star. Let him all the way up there. You think, man, I'm gonna get I'm gonna get my favorite club out. I'm gonna hit the best bunker shot. I'm gonna let this guy be a star. It's all mental, right? Mental yeah. hijinks, trick. Absolutely. I think that's huge. That plays a huge part in JT's game. That's that's why he uh, he is where he is. And he's damn near finishing top 10 every week. I mean, the guy is just on fire and I see him getting his second victory in, in no time. I see him getting it this year and maybe fast. this week. Now let's talk about another secret golf guy, Bronson Burgoon. He saved his best day of the week for last, shooting a red hot 65, putting on a ball striking clinic on Sunday finishing himself inside the top 10 he looks to be in good form now i know you're not a betting man dad but if you're willing to bet how many ice cold beers did bronson suck down after his low round of the week what would it be i'm going to set the line at six and a half (laughs) i would say the line is low normally speaking but he um his wife and he and his wife just had a baby. So I would say the baby was there. So he can't suck down any when the baby's there. Cause he's got to get home. But, uh, you know, Bagoon double B, we call him. He, you know, came out of Texas A&M. He's had a lot of injuries mate last year. He had a baby and he had surgery and then he was forced to go back to the web finals or the corn Ferry playoffs. He made it through that easily. And now he's already set himself up for a big year with a big start. He promised me one thing, um, and Diane Knox, who the, the voice of SG Tour and Secret Golf, he promised us that he would not change his swing again because, you know, we're so high on Bronson um, and he has a tendency to be a little bit of a tinkerer with his swing. And I know another guy on this on this phone call that sometimes tinkers with his swing. Um, he can't do that. He's got to go with what he's got. And it's already paying off for him. He's just getting better and better. And he's one of the longest hitters. Look, he's one of the most gifted physical swings. If you haven't seen Bronson Bagoon hit the ball, go on, go on secretgolf.com and check out his private channel. It's amazing what he can do.
and a great guy as well. Um, so today, this morning, uh, we went out to the range, Dad, and I haven't been hitting the ball so good. Um, we worked on a few different things. Um, we were on the back of the range at Champions Golf Club, where we both have been for the last 20 years. Me, 20, you, 40, or however old you are. Um, we were we were working on getting the weight into the left side as well as some side tilt. Um, why do I need to do that in my swing? Why, why is my swing... Uh, non-functional at times <laughs> your swing is always better than you think it is and a lot of a lot of you you fall into the same trap a lot of amateurs do where they they have low self-esteem when they hit bad shots and you know if you realize how bad some of the amateurs or some of the other pros hit the ball sometimes and how how they lack of understanding of their swings you you'd feel a lot better but today you know and your coaches agree with you and they've told you that 80 percent of your swing is really good but you have this one sort of bad habit that when you get to the top of your swing, you have a tendency to sort of straighten your legs and um, straighten both legs to get power. And that's not where the power comes from. And we're trying to work on getting a little bit of weight early over to that left knee, keeping that left knee a little bit, a little bit bent a little longer, and then learning how and when to straighten that right arm. Because, as every golfer knows, is when you go to the top of the backswing, that right elbow is bent. Okay, we all know that. Well, when does it straighten? And how can we take that right arm to, to maximize the amount, of, the amount of angle and the amount of squash? So when we open up that right arm correctly, it puts tremendous downforce into the ball. And that's what you, that's what you had some success with today. So, you know, you have a tendency to swing on by the, the best part of your swing. Is that true? I would believe that to be true. I mean, my main miss is missing it out to the right, and that would be me leaving the face open and the arms kind of overextending early and legs too. Um, but yeah, today I felt a lot more comfortable out on the course. We hit some, we probably played what seven holes, and I, I hit a lot of good shots. It was uh, it was good. I actually hit a draw today, which is the first time I've done that in quite some time. We're both big yeah, favorites, uh, aren't we, Dad? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Hooking the ball. Uh... As Mr. Burke said, they used to call it a dog pro. And, and, and they said, what do you mean when you say he hooks the boys a hot dog pro? He says, well, when he turned to his friend, he goes, hey, let's go get us a hot dog. No, no point seeing this guy that hooks it. So you've always been taught that, uh, you know, we want to try to fade that ball. But uh, look, you know, you've got one of the best wedge swings. Uh, you've really improved that and you've learned how to use your right arm correctly. So many, so much in the game today is done with the, uh, you know, so much is done with technology and all the data, but it doesn't really teach you how to swing the sequence of when is it, when is it supposed to, when is the right arm supposed to release? When are the hips, where, you know, all the little pieces that we've all known, you know, that there's no technology that teaches you that. That is very true. And uh, it, it's hard though, because, you know, you have all those resources at a university like the uh, University of Houston and, uh, and all the data uh, shows what pros do the best and, and the best way to replicate the pros is to have the same data. So it's like, how can you get your numbers to be like theirs? But at the same time, you want to have your own feel and your own way of doing it. So it's kind of like a, a balancing act for me between the old school, you and the new school, my coaches at university of Houston. Yeah. And, you know, I played with, um, you know, more, my left leg was more bent at impact, which, Gave, presented the inside quadrant of the ball and Tiger Woods came along and really straightened his legs and he, you know, he hit more the back of the ball and, and faded the ball and it's like, where do you settle yourself between the two? And 
course, I would never copy anyone because we didn't have any data. So all I was doing was copying a picture of Jack Nicholas. So um, I'm not sure which which method. You know, I'm I'm not totally convinced that the you have to have all the data now. I think there's some good data like um, driving numbers, smash numbers, numbers. Yeah. smash fat, all those things are they're important. But you've seen me never been on camera, and you know I. I'm like a sniper out there. I'm I'm ready. To, I'm ready to shoot at them flags. There's no doubt about that. You are an absolute sniper on the golf course. There's there's no denying that fact. <laughs> I don't hit it far, but I hit it extremely straight. I still got a little. I just took a little punch in there. I don't. I hit it about as far as you hit your three wood. You hit it about forty yes, by me when you when you catch your driver. Yeah, but I'll be in the rough and you'll be in the fairway, and we're going to do my wedge from the rough against your seven, and typically. The old guy gets me, but every once in a while, every once in a while, I peel around and put some birdies on him early, and he just he just can't keep up. So um, <laughs> we have a great time on the golf course, and I, I love I love it. Yeah, I love it too, son. All right, we're going to bring some video to these people each week on the Elk and Sun podcast. Is that right? We're going to take a little footage of what we're working on, and we're going to talk about it. I think that's going to be good for everyone. I think that's going to be great. Maybe we could get a little putting lesson from Mr. Burke as well. We could probably easily add that in there. Um, we were with Dr. Lemack today on the back of the range, 100 years old. He was going to have a beer. It was only 930. What did I tell you? I said, when I'm you 101, said, I want you, you to take me yep. to a beer. I want to go <laughs> have a beer at 830. Beer at o'clock. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, we're going to do that so, maybe one day. Dr. Lemack gets to the course at 8 practices until nine then has two beers at nine thirty, and then he's done for the day but you know hey he's 101 and it's 110 degrees so i'm all about that schedule at 100 at 101 love that let's let's book it and uh and absolutely the elk and sun podcast will be a weekly event with some video audio and bullshit all right son love you love you papa uh, I just want to say thank you to everyone who was listening today to our first A Little Elk podcast. We will be doing this next week, so tune back in, and I hope you enjoyed the podcast. Adios.